How am I, gentlemen, I guess? In the studio alone tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Loshi. <laughs> Chop is away in Bali, as he's mentioned. Probably knee-deep in a K-hole as we speak. And Rusa, unfortunately, has been struck down with the corona. So he won't be joining us tonight either. So I'm going to steer the ship and try to get this thing through. Hopefully... You can bear with me. It's a bit nerve-wracking doing it by yourself, not having the boys to bounce off of, but I'm sure we'll get through it. Probably be a shorter episode tonight. But yeah, wish me luck. I don't even know how to start this thing, really. I get to, It's been a while since I've been here. Obviously, I missed last week's episode, which was a good one, I guess. If you like those two. No, no. It's a good episode last week, boys. And uh, the week before, obviously, we had the girls from Fremantle, Cara and Ebony. I f- thought that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed that. Might keep an eye on the AFLW now this year. Now that I'm getting a bit more involved with uh, women's sports, with my niece playing soccer and playing pretty, pretty good. So there might be a future there for her. Oh, while we're on women's soccer, I don't know if anyone saw it, but Sam Kerr kicked two of the best goals you'll see all year to wrap up the league on the weekend. So if you check that out, you will not be... Not be disappointed. Very exciting. Uh, footy's exciting, obviously. Blues are in the top four. I'll get to that later. There are some questions relating to that. So anytime I get a bit stuck, I'll probably just dive into a question to hopefully bring something up. But the weekend was good. Finished off with a good win. It was Mother's Day. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see my mum. She also struck down with the corona. So maybe her and Russo got some uh, got some explaining, explaining to do, but... Uh, so hopefully she gets better. She was pretty cool when I spoke to her to wish her a happy Mother's Day. After I uh, actually got my skipper's ticket in the morning on uh, Sunday with my brother. That was pretty cool. Pretty easy. It's pretty weird. Like, you get your ticket. It's a lot. Of, it's a written test first. You've got to get X amount of questions right. I think it's 34 out of 40. And then you go out on the water and you do a bit of stuff. You, you know, obviously steer it a bit. You learn how to take off. You learn how to log in with uh, Sea Rescue. You kind of drive around a bit with the other guys in the class in the boat with you. Then they get out and you do a one-on-one with an assessment. And it's, it's pretty easy. Like, you know, it was hard at first. Not hard, but it's hard to get used to at first. And then once you did, it was kind of easy. So he was saying that now that we've got our skipper's ticket, we're allowed to, like, drive? Drive a boat? Steer a boat? Operate a boat? Probably should know that. Skipper a boat. Hey... We were allowed a skipper boat up to like the massive ones, like the huge yachts. Like I've just done my skipper's ticket in a barina and now I'm allowed to drive an 18-wheeler, it feels like. Like I'm confident now to drive a boat, like not, I'm sure you get used to it and I'll get my confidence up the more I go out on a boat, which I don't have, but I just feel it's a bit weird. I just, I don't know. I wouldn't, I would definitely wouldn't be confident operating a big 80-footer or even a 40-footer just yet. Like yeah, I can understand the safety signs, I know how to park a boat, but... Maybe it's just as easy. Hopefully one day I'll get my hands. I managed to get a uh, 80 foot yacht. I can find out. So we had that on the weekend. Uh, finished off with an Epicurean dinner. Epicurean's beautiful as always. Ate too much as always. But it was very well worth it. It was a nice little wake up call because I felt so sick Monday that you've probably heard me say this multiple times. But I'm going to try and uh, get my shit together again health wise. I actually just got back from a Pilates, my first Pilates class tonight, Reformer Pilates. It was the first intro sort of class, so everything was the easiest and only 10 of everything, but still wasn't incredibly easy, but I imagine it's going to get a lot harder. 
but I need it because the knee is killing me, the back is killing me, and I'm about to have a kid soon. And let's be real, like there's a lot of picking up, putting down, and I want to be able to go and run at the park and bit coach footy and not just be you know the old bloke coach that can't run around with the boys or girl. I'll be happily coach either boy or girl, whichever it turns to be. Actually, while we're speaking of babies as well, a little segue to myself. My brother, Mason's also pregnant. Well, his uh, partner is pregnant. So they're expecting, I think, five or six weeks after we are. So that'll be cool that they'll have little cousins from a very young age, obviously, and grow up together. We had a lot of cousins growing up, and but obviously my parents are one of four. And so you know, in turn, there's more cousins. Me and my brother being only two of us, always sort of... Thought it might suck if we don't get cousins at the same time because it was so good having so many growing up. But might have manifested it because we kind of joked about it over the years that how cool it would be if we had kids close together, you know, and we can coach them together, coach and assistant coach. So, I mean, it'd be good if they're the same sex. Again, who cares? Either way, as long as they're healthy, six foot four, full backs, full forwards, center half or key position players. But we'll see what we get. So, yeah, our journey actually, our pregnancy, we're halfway through. So, like, as I've mentioned before, we are at a grand final weekend or thereabouts. So, everything's going good so far. Apparently, it's got big, strong legs like its dad. So, hopefully, all go- keeps going well and we get through. And my beautiful wife keeps soldiering on with it all. She seems to be getting better this uh, trimester. So, hopefully, it's a smooth sailing from here or as smooth as it childbirth can be, I guess. But, uh, as I mentioned, chops in barley. He said this morning that he's starting to feel the effects of being a uh, being over there in his stomach. So hopefully he washes his food and avoids the uh, tap water and everything like that and manages to get through the holiday unscathed. While we're on Bali, someone's actually asked in, while chops in Bali, what's my go-to spot in Bali? And what do I pack? So I've been in Bali a few times, probably every year since Hannah and I have been together since, obviously before the COVID stuff happened. We're still Seminyak. We still go to Seminyak and we venture out, you know, maybe a day trip to Changu or wherever, but we like to sort of stay in the mix of Seminyak. Our favourite restaurant there would be, you look. I'm not sure if it's you look hot in a bikini or if it's just called bikini, but it's just one of those places where I went for one meal and ordered one dish and then just as soon as the waiter came, I got it again. Just re- repeat dishes because every dish there was just amazing it's a mix of stuff we had like an eggplant dish but it came out looking like oreos and ice cream like the eggplant was super charred but didn't have that bitter sort of taste and then they had this cream through it It was just amazing then this gnocchi and so that's definitely my favorite restaurant it's one of my favorite restaurants in the world it stands out for sure every time we go there we like to try and hit that up other spots well i'm not a big drinker so i've never really gotten into the whole coup d'etat and potato head and all that drinks by the pool I don't mind them I like chilling there but other spots I mean Ultimo's gone now that was a sort of staple for anyone that's been to Bali first night you get there you sort of land at 6.37 straight to Ultimo trio of pasta the bread basket but unfortunately didn't survive the COVID closed down I'm actually pretty interested to head over there won't be for at least a year I don't think maybe two but just to see how they're all coping I'm interested to hear when Chop gets back to see what it is like over there because you know, tourism is such a big part of their economy. The last couple of years would have hurt, would have really hurt. It's kind of like when Thailand got wiped with that tsunami and it's just rebuilding for those places. And, you know, luckily you get a lot of European guys and stuff that, well, I don't know if it's luckily, but they come in, they buy up some properties and they redo everything pretty quickly, so that helps. But 
See how barley survives. I'm sure Chop will let us know. And what do I pack? Not much. I'm a pretty light traveler. I think Chop's mentioned that before. If I'm going to Bali, we'll say we'll say seven days. Say if I'm going to Bali in seven days, you go two pairs of jocks. Well, the one that you're wearing for the flight there, and then a fresh pair for the flight home. Because when you're in Bali, no jocks are needed. You bring boardies, one pair. You don't need to get two pairs. One pair of boardies, preferably with the like inner lining inside them to make up for not wearing any underwear. So you don't get anything falling out. But sometimes it's weird. and Not weird, it's awkward. Because I don't wear jocks over there and you stop in for a massage and they tell you to take, you're just down to your underwear and you're like, oh. But usually they have those like paper things that end up crawling up like those paper underwear, the disposable ones. It's always a bit weird. But I bring, yeah, a pair of jocks for the return flight. One pair of Vans. Wear them on the flight so the bag's nice and small. I'm not a, I'm not a thongs guy. I don't mind slides. I'll bring slides, but usually that's just for around the pool and stuff like that. But if I'm heading out, I'd rather be barefoot than wear thongs or slides. I hate wearing them. So I'll bring one pair of shoes and a pair of slides around the pool. You bring one pair of boardies, one pair of, like, I don't know, dress shorts, but, like, smart casual shorts, usually black. That way, if you go to a nice restaurant, black sort of goes to everything and it looks simple. And I bring two black T-shirts. If they've got a print on them, something small, not over the top, not like one of my loud T-shirts with an NFL team on it, something just nice and small, and then a plain black one, they're your dinner shirts. Plain black, looks nice, wear it with your vans, looks dressy, sweet. And you need two T-shirts for the whole five days, really. You can rinse one out, hang it out, it'll be dry by the morning if you need to. And then two singlets, I'd say, because you're a good chance. Normally I like light-coloured singlets because the sun over there, so I like, you know, greys, maybe a white. Two of them, T-shirt for the, a clean T-shirt for the plane ride home. No toiletries. You do not need to bring toiletries if you go to Bali. Because I don't like to bring check I don't like to check in my bags. Quick time when you get in the, in the airport, when you land, grab you got your carry on, bang, you're out of there. You don't have to wait for anything. So if you bring aerosols, if you bring liquids and everything, there's a limit. So just don't don't bring them. As soon as you land, there's five thousand seven elevens on every corner. Jump in, grab a small deodorant, grab a small toothbrush if your hotel doesn't come with one and you just grab everything there and you can leave it there because it costs you about $7. And with the clothes, if there's anything that gets dirty or stained, grab something on the street. Grab another plain black T-shirt. They're 15 bucks. You can get them for 8 bucks if you know how to barter. So I don't understand people that overpack. I don't like it. I don't like, I like traveling light. I'm sure Chop would have bought so much stuff with him, but that's the way he rolls. But yeah, that's barley covered. So chop. Look forward to uh, hearing all about it when you get back. And I'm very jealous you get over. Actually, you know what? One of my favorite places in the world. You asked me about a spot. Is a restaurant? Is a hotel? Sorry, resort slash hotel. So we've Hannah and I have done quite a bit of traveling. And one thing Hannah likes, so she doesn't care if the cheap flight, Jetstar, and all that. That's no worries. Ubers everywhere. Nothing else really that fancy. But she just likes nice accommodation. Fair enough. So when we went over to the US, it was our joint 30th, and as a present, our in-laws got us some accommodation, whatever. So we stayed in some really nice places, like the London in West Hollywood. Unbelievable. Like, Jon Snow was staying there when we were at Kit Harrington. So it's like, if he's going to stay there, I was in pretty good company. But we stayed at the Mulia in Nusadua, I think. That place is insane. Like, just five-star, just the deluxe, like, you can't believe you're in Bali when you're there. You could be in Greece, Europe. You could be 
anywhere else, you just do not feel like you're in Bali. It's got a private beach. There's so many pools. I think it's broken up into three parts where there's like the villas, the resorts, the resort and the hotel. And But you can still access all the restaurants. The buffet there is out of this world. Like, so like Epicurean the other night, it's good. It's better than like, you know, your average buffet, but it's not like every dish isn't like restaurant quality. It's all mass produced and then they top it up. So it's, it's everything's good. It's the best kind of buffet you're going to get in Perth for sure. But this place, like every single thing individually is just amazing. Like the salmons aren't just a whole bunch grilled up and thrown out there. It's perfectly grilled everything. Like blows your mind. People go there just to get the buffet dinner. It's out of this world. And then the breakfast is just like sweets and then savoury stuff and just everything you can think of. So that's my other spot in Bali. It's expensive. So at the moment, actually, there's a deal that we saw that we're sort of contemplating. Normally $7,000 for five nights, which, you know, that's a lot of money. I think they got a special for $2,500. So we're kind of toying with the idea of maybe going over to Bali, but birth of the kids coming soon. So it's a bit hard to navigate, you know, the time to find that. But if anyone else wants a good deal, have a look. Luxury escapes. All right. Another question. Chicken or fish? <laughs> uh, I'm not a seafood guy. Don't like seafood. I like I like like the simple seafood. Like I like non seafoody tasting seafood. Prawns, like the fish from fish and chip shop is about as fishy as I like to get. Like I like calamari sometimes, but like don't give me a spaghetti marinara. Don't give me I don't know mussels sometimes, but like no oysters, nothing like that. So I'm chicken every day. All right, we're going to head on to the sport side of it now because really that's all I ever want to talk about. And now that I've got the platform to talk about on my own without getting interrupted by the other two, I'm going to dive into it. Uh, well, can we get some feedback of Loshi's... Sorry, can we get some of Loshi's feedback on the NFL draft? Missed his input last week. And who are the three biggest steals in the NFL draft, please? I am glad you asked, and I was spewing that I did miss last week's episode, but if you were bored of it then, bad luck, you have to go through it again with me. I I enjoyed the draft. It was a pretty exciting draft. Normally, it's pretty quarterback field early, and also you ought to kind of know, kind of get a gauge of who's going to take who. I think the first two picks were pretty obvious, Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchison, which way around they were going to get picked was a bit of a mystery, but towards the like tail end of the sort of draft period, but the pre-draft period, it looked it started really favouring towards Trayvon Walker, so it wasn't really a surprise when he got taken. A couple of surprises like Sauce Gardner's getting taken, uh, getting taken fourth. I thought Texans might have taken him at three, but they went for a different DB. We'll see how that goes for him. But personally, for the Giants, that first round could not have gone any better. I honestly think that if we had the number one and number two pick rather than the five and seven, I still think we would have gone with the same guys. The guy, Trayvon Walker, obviously, and Aiden Hutchinson probably better, but to fill what we need at the moment, that's the guys, and we got him. The second round was a bit weird. We got Wondell Robinson. He His comp is Kadarius Tony, who we've already got, who we thought we might trade. So I thought, okay, well, he comes in. They're obviously going to get rid of uh, Kadarius Tony, but they've kept both of them. So it's going to be interesting to see how they played two slot receivers when they've still got Sterling Shepard. So I guess injuries always happen. You've got two pretty dynamic players that are both going to be on a rookie contract for the next sort of four or five years. So I think they've done pretty well there. The rest of the draft, I mean, fifth, sixth round, I'm not going to bore you with that. 
Uh, overall, though, yeah, I, everything kind of went how we expected. The top 10 was kind of no surprises. Again, it was just the order that it was going to go in that was always going to be the mystery. And I think the only thing that could have really shaken things up is if one of those earlier teams like Carolina or someone had have taken a quarterback, then you might have seen some movement for, you know, movement of guys moving up, um, of teams moving up to get their guy. But it got pretty weird. This is going to trail into my three biggest steals. So there was the first pick, the first quarterback picked was, I think, pick 20 by the Steelers, Kenny Pickett. That Everyone kind of thought that was going to happen. He's a homegrown kid. They missed out on Dan Marino in the 80s from Pitt. So they didn't think they want to miss out on this guy. So they've got their local guy. The one knock on him is his small hands. But, I mean, you look at his college tape. He got it done at Pitt. His hands aren't that small. Like, they're maybe small, quarterback small, but they're not everyday person small. So I'm sure he'll be fine. So the three biggest steals, I think round that Malik Willis, the other quarterback who I thought might have gone early, he got picked up in the third round by the Titans. Now... I think that's going to be a steal. I think we haven't really seen his complete ceiling because we haven't really seen his complete, like his completeness. Really, we haven't. He's not finished at all. His ceiling is very, very high compared to some of the quarterbacks out there. I think he played in a very easy offense at Liberty, not much competition. So that was a bit of a knock that he hasn't really had, you know, that challenging college experience and whether or not he's going to be able to adapt to NFL. But I mean, the guy's an athlete, like. Get him around those guys for a couple of years. I think he really could be a steal at pick 74. The next one was Philly getting Jordan Davis at pick 13, offensive lineman. This guy's six foot six, 154 kilos, and runs the 40 in 4.78 seconds. He is an absolute freak. I didn't think he was going to go past, a t- past pick 10. I know 13 is not too far off 10, but I think Philly, it's not just a steal in terms of draft position, but I think them getting their guy that he's really going to change. He's going to do massive things for Philly this year. I don't like to admit it because being NFC East, Philly is a rival of the Giants, but I think they're going to be a little smoky next year. If you want a little bet to win the NFC East, I think they're the guys like Jalen Hurts. There's been a bit of a knock on him, but he's shown flash and I think he can do it. They bring in AJ Brown on draft day, which again is another steal, you know, trading him from the Titans. So that bulks up their wide receiver room. They've still got Smith, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner. So I think Philly going to be smoking. I think Jordan Davis going into that. Like, it's traditionally a good O-line in Philly. And there are still some vets there. Jason Kelsey's still there. So I think he's really going to – it's a good place for him to go, and I think it's a steal. The other one, I think, is a pick just after him is pick 14, Kyle Hamilton. This guy's a six foot four safety athlete, like basketball scholarship early on, absolute athlete. I thought he could be – I thought he could be a top 10. I thought he could be a top five pick at one point. I mean, safeties never really go that high, but this guy is like, last year was Kyle Pitts, who was that anomaly with tight ends not really ever going that high. This was Kyle Hamilton, the safety. I thought he was going to be that and maybe surprise everyone at seven. Well, not seven because I didn't think the Giants would take him, but maybe a six, eight, I don't know, somewhere around that. He's gone to the Ravens, who Ravens, everyone knows their defense or is just staunch defense. So I think that's, a, again, same similar situation with how Jordan Davis was at Philly, how it's just the right fit for them. I think it's a really good fit for Kyle Hamilton and for the Ravens. So they're my three Smokies, and that's my quick little summary on the NFL draft. It's shit now because the draft, I mean, sorry, the season finished February, early February with the Super Bowl, but then you've always got the draft to look forward to. So it gets you through the next couple of months. There's always a bit of chatter. Now is that sort of black hole period where – There's no football till September.
I think the first game September 16th. Obviously, the preseason games late August, but you know they're not really a thing. So it's good timing for the Blues to be doing well. You're gonna have to bear with me here, guys, because again, I've got this place by myself, so I am definitely going to be covering some of the Blues, a lot of the Blues now. Top four, round eight, top four, six and two, six and two for the first time since 1996. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I remember that. Obviously, I remember 1996. I remember the football in 1996. I don't remember specifically being 6-2. and two. Actually, 96, my best memory would have been, that's when Tony Lockett had the shot after the siren to, in the prelim. It was a draw, 55, 60 out maybe, just bombs it, kicks a point. It's enough. They go through. He, when he, I remember hearing once he was asked, what's his greatest goal of his career? And he actually said his greatest goal was actually a point. <coughs> which was obviously that point. <coughs> and then they went on to play the Kangaroos. They lost. But so I do remember 1996. I don't remember the specifics like that. I was watching the game on the weekend with my brother. And like we would, Carlton were dominating like in the third quarter going into three quarter time. We'd let, we let the game fade in the fourth quarter, but that's fine when you're up by that much. It's not, it's not fine, but I can deal with that. But just the feeling of watching your team play good, just play good footy in the top four, he he was five when the last time they were six and two. I was nine. Like neither of us remember that. So it's just it's good. Like that's why I've said this before on the show. Like you ride the wave of the ups because when the downs come, they suck. So every week, every win, ride them because there's ups and downs in with all teams. And we're seeing it now with the Eagles having a spell at the bottom, and Russo's pretty confident they're going to be there for an extended time. His Hawks are down there at the moment, but I don't think they're going to be down there for long. They look very exciting. They gave up quite a quite a uh, embarrassing last last quarter lead uh, to the Bombers, who are a little rival of theirs. Who I'm sure that would have really hurt. It's going to their fans are going to get stuck into each other. But I can't see them down, being down for very long. They look good. They look young. They're led by Sam Mitchell. They're playing Sam Mitchell-style football. And it's the same with Carlton. So you look at Carlton now, it's forward handballs. It's moving the ball forward. It's fast, it's rapid, get the ball going forward. That's that Michael Voss, like, bang, bang, bang. Just It's just good footy. Like, and it's tw- I said this on Twitter to someone the, um, the other day. They look like they're really getting around each other. We've spoken before on here about the fruit, the team that Carlton um, Kiari and I played for, well, I played half a game before I hurt myself, but they won a flag. These guys were dead last after like round five or six before a few of the boys started getting together and getting around it. And it was just a group of mates. We went out together on Saturday night. Everyone was down there on Saturdays to watch. And you just, we went out for dinner on Friday nights together, like traditionally. And you just build up this morale, this camaraderie, friendship. And you go out there and you can see it. And it looks like that at Carlton at the moment. It looks like all the boys get around. You see their social media and they're like, you know, joking around the club. But it's you can tell it's just genuine. When there's a goal kick, they run from everywhere to get around all the players. When there's a little bit of push and shove now, they're getting in each other's, like in the other team's faces. And they're all being led by, <clears throat> I think, you could say arguably, but I'm not going to listen to the argument, by Patrick Cripps, who this, he's played... So he's played six full games of football this year. He missed the Gold Coast game. He got injured just before quarter time. And then he missed the week after. So out of eight games, he's played full six. He's played six full games. He could very easily have 18 Brownlow votes at the moment. Even though they've lost a game in there against Fremantle, I think he was still... Pol- he he might... It's hard to pull three in a losing game, but he was that good. 
So you, well, let's call it worst case, maybe 15, 16. He keeps up that form. That's a brown low for sure. I mean, you'd rather the team accolades. But it's also nice to get that around. Sam Walsh went close last year, pulled 30 votes and missed out when Ollie Wines won. That was a crazy brown low year. But Cripps is just, he's the best player in the league. Undoubtedly. He's just strong and just a bull, just charges through. You can't tackle him. He's so strong through the hips. He's getting on the scoreboard. So every game this year, he's had over 30 disposals and at least one goal. And I think maybe four out of those games, he's had multiple goals. You know, he's kicked as many goals already than he kicked last year, this season than he kicked in the whole season last year. So I'm not – someone asked, one of the questions was, is the lid off? Is the lid officially off now? The lid's not blown right off, but the lid is off where I'm, I'm enjoying this now. Of course, we're in the top four. It's round eight. So we're you know, a third of the way through the year. Next five games, GWS, Sydney, uh, Collingwood, Essendon, Richmond, I'm not sure in that exact order, but they're the next five. They're all pretty tough games. Like, it's a lot. It's three of our biggest rivals, you know, in Essendon, Collingwood, and Richmond there. We've got to go away to GWS where we've never won before, and this year we actually haven't won outside of Melbourne. So that's another test. So I'm looking forward to this weekend, and I think the next five games, if we can come out of there four and one, and you got ten and three going into round thirteen into the buy, I think it's a pretty good place to be. It's pretty pretty good to be blue at the moment. Not so much blue and yellow. So Chop's not here this week, so I'm going to speak on his behalf about the Eagles. I mentioned the Hawks already. I mean, to be honest, they did better than I expected on the weekend. More uh, rather than better than I expected, I think Brisbane didn't do as well as I expected on the weekend. I mean, no Joe Danaher, whatever, but. I thought they were going to put on a big score. They're a pretty high-scoring team. They didn't quite hit the scoreboard, but obviously they stopped Eagles from scoring. It was still 75 points. The line going into that game, the betting line, was minus 72 and a half. I've never – it probably is. I've never seen a line like that. Even when GWS and Gold Coast first started, I don't think I've ever seen a 72 and a half line. Head-to-head, Eagles were $23. That is insane. I've never seen uh, – it must be a record. Like I said, even when the Inception teams came in, expansion teams came in. Inception? Expansion? Anyway, when they came in, never odds like that. So I think, I kind of agree with Roos. I think, I do agree with Roos. Eagles do have a long road ahead. I don't think it, it probably won't be like, you know, five to seven years. You know, probably maybe three to five years I'll give them. They're a very young list, but they've always been a good club. They're a well-run club. I think Nisbet, it's time to go. I think you've, you know, you've done a lot of good things. It's time to get some fresh face out there. Probably Adam Simpson, I'd say he's probably going to be gone at the end of the year. I think it's pretty clear he's lost the room a little bit on the weekend, that, or I think it was the weekend before, but it affected their team this weekend. Just gone. Seven players that's come out now that were out at the hippie club. I mean, of all places as well. Like, I wonder if it would be less of a deal if it wasn't a hippie. Not that I, I don't even know where else you would go. So it's, that place has stood the test of time, like really. Man has gone everywhere else we used to go. It's gone. Hippie club has been there since. I'm sure my parents have talked about going to the hippie club. So that's not a good look. I mean, there's the argument where they're young players and they've got to have an outlet and they've got to be able to go out and you know, you know, unleash a little bit. Not unleash, but you know, let it out a bit. It's been a rough couple of years, whatever. But at the same time, circumstances aren't like they've ever been you got to be smarter. Your team's been copping it all year with COVID. You can't be going out to the hippie club, especially if you are if you haven't had it yet. Like, maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room if you've already had it, but even still. 
I mean, none of their real leaders were there. You know, you, it wasn't Josh Kennedy, it wasn't Shannon Hearn, it wasn't McGovern, it wasn't those kind of guys. But that's not a good sign because those guys are—they're not going to be here much longer. You know, Kennedy, Shuey, Hearn—they won two years at best. You know, like even the ones that have maybe got a couple, three or four good years, maybe they get rid of them just to get some draft capital moving forward because it's a full rebuild. So this is your next group of younger guys coming in and you're getting an incident like this with seven of them going out. That's seven guys and not one of them between them just thought, come boys, we shouldn't be doing this. Like, you know, like that's not a good look. So I think Adam Simpson's probably, his days are probably numbered. They won't get rid of him before the end of the year, but I think they'll, you know, he's bought him a flag, so doing the respectful thing. Maybe it's Clarkson in the waiting, waiting in the wings. Who knows who it could be? Maybe they do get Simpson on. I don't know. Who really cares? Fuck the Eagles. It's good that they're down at the bottom of the ladder for a little bit. Not, you know, so my mates can go through it, but just so the majority of their fans can go through it because the majority of their fans are flogs. All right, so that's AFL. Touched on NFL. I mean, I'm not an expert on NBA, but there's quite a few things happening in the NBA. Big uh, Nikola Jovic, Jokic, Jokic. I think I might have moosed that. And Sorry, Chop. I give you shit for doing it, but now I've done it. MVP two years in a row. He's a big man, and his numbers are insane. Like, he's done – I think he's got, like, the first time ever – I don't know the stats, but he's the first player to finish in the top 10 for this, this, and this, and he's first player to average this and that. It's crazy, and you see photos of him when he was a kid, and he's just like this, you know, little Eastern European chubby kid, and he's gone on to be just the great white hope. Like, he's just balling out. So the last four years have been international players. Well, I mean, the last – they're the same two players, but the last four years – You've had Giannis two years before, and then Jokic, I should lock that up. Nikola, I'll call him Nikola, in the last few years. So the game is obviously, you know, it's a a global game. Not quite at soccer's level, but it's growing because you've got guys from Greece and Eastern Europe. There's always been quite a big, you know, presence in Eastern Europe. I know the leagues are quite big. I think it's just because there's a lot of big bastards over there. You see a lot of those seven-foot big ears like Bogdan, whatever his name is, Bobich or whatever. Someone will correct me on that. So it's pretty cool for basketball, I guess, for the, you know growing the sport. Because oh, I should know this. Jokic, where I'll look it up while I'm talking. But Nikola's from wherever the country he's from. Oh, we'll, just, we'll go with Giannis because I know where he's from. So Giannis is from Greece. You got you, the numbers, NBA, NBA numbers in Greece must be incredible the last few years compared to numbers before that. Like now, everyone watching Giannis and then you got Nikola Jokic from Serbia. So I'm sure Serbia it's growing and then. All Eastern Europe, you got um, Luka Doncic as well. You got um, Joel Embiid as well, who's another contender for the MVP. He's from, I think, Barbados, or I'll probably moose that again, but I know he's not American. So, pretty cool for the game. I wonder if, like, soccer is obviously the global game, and that's king, but kind of feel soccer's, like, a bit glamorized now, where I think it's lost its. It's still a beautiful game. I still love watching soccer, but I don't know, the whole. Leagues and everything, it's just so money, money, money. Even with them trying to do the Super League and then now putting the um, World Cup in Qatar, like that's a terrible idea. No one agrees with that. You have to do it at a different time. It's interrupting, interrupting domestic seasons. It's not a good idea, but it's just money. It's corruption. It's money. And I wonder if there is a sport that might overtake soccer. I mean, it could be basketball. You know, you keep getting these guys winning MVPs. I don't think NFL – I mean, NFL is getting global, right? So NFL is heading over to – um, 
uh, Germany for the first time ever. So they normally do a London game. It's usually Jacksonville. And they normally do... Well, they often do a Mexican Mexico game, Mexico City. This year they're going to Germany for the first time. And they're actually sending three games to London this year, which is pretty cool. So there's talk of an expansion team coming out of... I know I said I talked about NFL, but we'll just segue here. There's talks of the expansion team in London. There's a lot of people saying, you know, the... The uh, big talk is that it would be Jacksonville moving to London. Now, if they get a Concorde going again like they used to, it's a three-hour flight from London to New York. So you put them in, you might have to shuffle around, you know, you put them in the east, so they're playing against Philly, Miami. They're sort of, you know, at least three of their away games are just on the east coast and they have to travel. But, I mean, teams from L.A., it's a further flight than the teams from L.A. when they have to go up to Boston, you know, to play the Patriots. So... It might work. I mean, they might have to change the league from NFL to IFL doesn't really have the same ring, but it's a National Football League. But, I mean, logistically, it could happen. They've got beautiful stadiums over there with, you know, even Tottenham's in London and the big Wembley Stadium, which they normally play out. But they're going to play one at Tottenham and I think two at Wembley. The Giants and Packers are actually playing over in London this year. I entered a raffle. I bought three tickets and there's only 80 tickets. So, I mean, three in 80 chance of um, winning this, and it's for the round-trip return flights and tickets to the game, Giants-Packers. So I'll keep you updated. It's drawn drawn on the 18th of May, so I might be winning that, which would be a – I mean, I spoke to Hannah about it. She said, yeah, no worries. I could go if I did win because it's not long after our baby's due. So it could be a big month. It could be Carlton Grand Final. It could be childbirth, and it could be going to London to see – Green Bay versus New York Giants in a one-month span. So maybe it could just be the childbirth. Either way, it's going to be a very, very good time in my life. So, yeah, I don't think it would be NFL that could expand. <sighs> Cricket's a global game, but, you know, it's not the same. Footy, I think footy will will grow. And it has grown. And, there's, you know, there's leagues in Asia and there's leagues. There's, you know, there's even small leagues in England. and They're more, you know, amateur leagues and stuff like that. But I think if the world really got our game, like, got to see it, got to sound like, soccer fans enjoy Aussie rules. You get guys from England or whatever that move over to Australia, and they love footy. So it's not the stop-start of NFL, because that's that's what a lot of people can't handle. It's a stop-start, and I get that. You know, if you don't know what's going on, really, it is a very hard sport to watch. Obviously, I know, you know, me and the boys, we nerd out on it. We know what's happening, and for us, we get it. And most people, you know, all the fans obviously get it. But if you're just trying to sort of like tune in, it's not an easy sport to watch. It's hard to even track where the ball is if you don't really know what's going on. But, I mean, footy – so as much as I love NFL, I love the league of the NFL. I watch a lot more NFL than I do AFL. Carlton, for me, is number one by far. So every week, without fail, I watch the Carlton game. If I don't watch any other footy games, that's fine. Whereas NFL, I watch pretty much every game. I'm interested in all the teams, whereas, Carl, yeah, AFL is – it's kind of, I mean, obviously you're still interested in the league, whatever, but I don't make as much time. I guess the time difference makes it harder as well. It's always Monday mornings, Friday mornings, Tuesday mornings at NFL, and I just have have it on while I'm at work. So it's probably convenience as well. So I love both those sports, but in terms of watching, it's footy by a mile. It's, it's the best sport to watch in the world. I think Americans would love it. Europeans would love it. Europeans would probably struggle to play. They're a bit soft, the majority of them, like – the ones who grew up playing soccer and like, like, even Italians, even my cousin like from Italy, that's so soft. My cousin's been here like twenty years and he's a big girl. Like the way they flop around on the foot on the soccer field, it's embarrassing. They would never cop it with footy. I mean they might. But I don't know, footy might have a chance. 
I think they've got a, you know, it's definitely the biggest sport in Australia. I mean, rugby is also a global sport, but I can't cop rugby. That's just a personal thing. But I think footy would have a chance. I think they need to do something like the way Formula One did with Drive to Survive and just put like a AFL, some sort of, you know, like a hard knock style like they do in the NFL and just give a taste of AFL football. And it just sort of, if you can sort of explain it a little bit, you get it a bit more. So that's what I think the problem with F1 was that everyone was, I'm the same. I haven't watched Drive to Survive and I probably will love it after I watch it. But just watching from the outside, you just see it for what it is, guys racing around. But when you go behind the scenes and you see what's going on, you understand why that happens. You understand the rules. You, like, you really get into it. That's how I know so much about NFL. I've been on – I mean, I've always enjoyed watching NFL. I've always enjoyed following it. But I've been really staunch, like, into it and, like, nerding out on it five, six years. And I know a lot. Like, I'm not pissing my pocket. Like, I'm – you know, historically and stuff like that. And that's just all from all these docos. I get Game Pass and you get the documentaries that come with it. You get these 30 for 30s of football life stories. I'd like to say, we've spoken about this before, but I'd like to see more of that from the AFL. And if they did market it, that sort of draft as vibe style, whether they picked, you know, three teams, four teams every year and you get a, like, inside look at, tra- you know, pre-season and whatever, follow through a few games of the season even, or even go through the whole season like they do with the draft to survive. And then you find guys, you know, people pick it up in America, they'll follow a team, they'll follow a player. And that's how you – If I feel like if you've got a sport in another country that you don't have any affiliation with the team, majority of the time it's a player that draws you to that team. Or maybe you like the jersey or whatever. For me, it was Odell Beckham. I didn't really have a team till about five, six years ago. I kind of toyed with the Rams. I toyed with other teams, but it just felt right as well with the Giants. It sounds weird, but it just felt like, oh, yeah, that's a team I should support. And, but for me, the main part was sort of Odell Beckham and Eli Manning highlights, like seeing what he had done in the Super Bowls. So I think if you can sort of get that behind-the-scenes look and, I don't know, it might catch on and it might become the global game. It would be pretty cool if it would. And then, you know, you might get some sort of World Cup-style thing. I mean, it's a bit hard because the season's already long and the off-season, it's more taxing on the body than sports like soccer. But you never know, little round-robin competitions every couple, every few years or whatever, a few countries get involved, it'd be good to see. One other question, has Monty spoken to Bruce yet? Oh, that's related to the Essendon Hawthorne game, Monty being an Essendon supporter, Brucey obviously the resident Hawthorne supporter. I think both those guys are at the point where they realise both their teams suck and there's no point chirping at each other. It'd be like, I never really have done much chirping unless you beat the Eagles because when you're not supposed to, I guess there's that. But when you're both two shit teams, it's not really banter. Well, that's the questions done. I've covered AFL, I've covered NFL. I'm sorry if it was a bit sporty tonight, guys, but I was by myself. I hope I hope it was enjoyable. hope it was entertaining, and I hope the boys are back very soon. And we're about to reach a technical issue here because I just realized I don't know which button is the outro button, so bear with me. Nailed it. First time.